This morning, we're going to discuss how do we love our neighbor? How do we love our neighbor? And we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1. We continue our series through the Word of God, God's story, our story, by looking at the next minor prophet, Jonah. This morning, we'll look at Jonah chapter 1, and next week, we'll look at Jonah chapter 4. But a fascinating book. Now, before I move too further ahead, uh, many people ask throughout the week, what resources, commentaries are you using? Uh, One in particular I I want to highlight for the book of Jonah, not only because it's full of tremendous truths and beautiful nuggets that just make the Word of God come alive, but it's very pastoral and very practical. That is O. Palmer Robertson's book on Jonah, a study in compassion. O. Palmer Robertson, longtime Old Testament professor here at Knox Seminary, but just a wonderful resource, uh, not only for the pastor, but for the layperson. Jonah, a study in compassion, a great resource to, for your Bible study on the book of Jonah. Two surprises we have in the book of Jonah. The first is this, Jonah called as a prophet. God does not call him to go to the people of God but instead to go to the Gentile city of Nineveh. At that time, one of the great cities of the world, one of the great cities of the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh. So that's surprise number one. Don't go to my people, but go to the Gentile city of Nineveh and take this message of God's covenantal grace that in the Old Testament is primarily for the people of God in Israel, and we see a foreshadowing of what was going to eventually happen when Jesus came. We see a taste of it happen, that the mission and the message of God is not just for the people of God in Israel, but for the entire world. So surprise number one, I'm not sending you to my people, but I'm sending you to the great but evil Gentile city of Nineveh. Surprise number two, Jonah says, I'm not going. I know you called me, God, but I resign. There's nothing else like it in all of the other prophets. God, I know you called me, but I resign. God is encouraging Jonah and the Israelites to take this message of God's good news to the nations. And Jonah goes in the opposite direction He goes down to Joppa, and instead of going to Nineveh, he takes a Mediterranean cruise across the way to Nineveh, modern day, uh, to Tarshish, which is modern day Spain. All for this one reason. I don't want to go to Nineveh to be with those ugly Gentiles. I don't want to be stuck with a bunch of Gentiles in Nineveh, only to find himself on a boat with a bunch of of Gentiles. Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 17. How do we love our neighbor? But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea so to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They said to one another, come, 
Let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. They said to him, tell us on whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done it, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights and the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our Lord it stands forever. Amen. I don't think it comes to any surprise that the culture is increasingly hostile towards Christianity. I'm sure I'm not enlightening anyone in the room or online this morning. And so the question for us this morning, as has been the question for the people of God throughout the centuries, is how do we respond to a people that aren't particularly enamored with us and our message? Well, Jesus had an answer for the people in his day And it was the same answer that is relevant for us today. And it was an answer that was grounded in the word of God even before Jesus physically came to this earth. And it was simply this, love your neighbor. In fact, Jesus would go the extra step and he would say, not only love your neighbor, actually love your enemy. You see, the calling for the people of God has always been and will always be, take the grace that was extended to you and take it to the world and take it to your neighbor and in fact, take it to your enemy. So what can we learn this morning from Jonah chapter one regarding this ancient call for the people of God to love our neighbor? There's three things we can pull out of this text this morning. Three reminders for the people of God in order to love our neighbor and to love our neighbor well. The first thing we need to do is this. We need to remember that everyone knows God. Now the sailors here and sailors everywhere are not particularly known for being devout men, are they? The occupation of sailor, we don't necessarily think of being men or women that are particularly devout, but here, all of a sudden, as the storm arises on the sea, what do we see in verse five and six? We see sailors, not particularly devout men, 
all of a sudden crying out to who? Crying out to their God. You've often heard it said there are no atheists in foxholes. For all of our history buffs, particularly World War II, we've heard the stories as the Allied forces were getting ready to storm the beaches of Normandy, what were all of the sailors doing in unison? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Regardless of faith, regardless of conviction, when the storm rises, the reality of the truth of God comes to the top. You see, if you don't believe me, look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see what Paul is saying that whatever and whatever condition or circumstance your neighbor, your friend, maybe even your spouse is going through that within them is the knowledge of God suppressed by sin But the bottom line is this, that every single person without exception has the knowledge of God within them. And it is the calling of the people of God to walk alongside of our neighbor so that maybe according to God's grace, when that truth of God is finally revealed, you might be there helping to fill in the blanks and put the pieces back together again. Or maybe you might even be used by God as an agent of his grace to bring the truth of God to fruition in their lives. But make no mistake that your neighbor and your friends and your colleagues all have within them the knowledge of God. And it is our responsibility to declare and demonstrate the goodness of our God before a watching world. And if there's, if there's one thing this passage teaches us is that every neighbor of ours is just one storm away from the knowledge of God being revealed. And wouldn't we count it our highest privilege to be standing right there next to them when the knowledge of our great God is fully revealed to them. R.C. Sproul said, there's no such thing as an atheist. Everyone worships something or some person. It's our job to help our neighbor understand that that longing to worship something or someone is the feeling and the emotion and the capacity to ultimately find our true worship in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Everyone will find something or someone to worship. It's our job to point them to the only one who is worthy of our worship and our praise. We need to remember, in order to love our neighbor well, we need to remember that everyone knows God. Second is this. The second calling of the Christian to love our neighbor well is to wake up to the opportunities all around us What was happening here in Jonah chapter one? The ship was sinking. 
The storm was all around them and the sailors are panicking for their lives, throwing cargo overboard in order to save themselves, crying out to their false gods and to their idols to save them. And where was Jonah, the God-fearing man? Asleep. He was sleeping. He had an opportunity to share God and to serve his neighbor well, to love his neighbor with sacrificial love, and Jonah is asleep. And before we look down on Jonah, I think we need to have a heart check this morning. If you haven't noticed recently, our world isn't particularly flourishing. But the problem is, for the Christian, we are asleep on the boat when a whole world around us is perishing, it is the Titanic, brothers and sisters, sinking and we are asleep. Listen to some of these statistics regarding the opportunities around us. In one year, in the United States of America, 800,000 babies are aborted. In one year, 10,000 children involved in sex trafficking 2.5 million children will be homeless. And you want to know an even more sobering statistic? In one year, 70% of Christians will never share Jesus with their neighbor. The world is sinking. The world is crumbling. And 70% of the church in North America will never share Jesus with their neighbor. The opportunities are all around us. And these statistics show me and remind us that the church is asleep on the boat. And it is time for God to crawl out and to listen to the call and to answer the call as Jonah had to hear the words arise. The church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century needs to hear the words arise. The world is declining. The world is struggling. And you know what our answer is? Let's have another covered dish supper. And the world around us is suffering and broken. You know what Jonah's testimony should have been? Generations later, to his grandchildren... Wouldn't it have been beautiful if Jonah would have been able to look at his grandchildren in the eye and said, I was on a Mediterranean cruise with a bunch of pagan sailors and I told them about Jesus and I served them sacrificially and the whole boat got saved. Now, you know what Jonah's story will be to his grandchildren? The ship was sinking and I was fast asleep. Brothers and sisters, what will your testimony be to your children and to your grandchildren? The world was perishing and going to hell, and I was fast asleep. May we wake up to the opportunities all around us. In order to love our neighbor well, we need to remember that within everyone resides the knowledge of God. Two, we need to wake up to the opportunities around us. And third, and lastly, we need to love sacrificially. In verse 7, we're told that the sailors decided to cast lots to figure out who's responsible for this mess, who's responsible for this storm. And we're told that the the lot falls to Jonah. 
And so they look to Jonah and they say, what have you done? Who are you? Where did you come from? And Jonah finally confesses what has happened. I'm a God-fearing man, but I really haven't been much God, haven't shown much fear of God lately. I've actually fled from God. I'm fleeing from his presence. And what is the result? They take him up, they pick him up, and they throw him into the sea. And it's a picture there for the sailors of a man, albeit begrudgingly, a man who sacrifices his life so that the sailors would live. And what is the result? Look at verse 12. The sailors cry out after they throw him out. Excuse me, verse 14. It says, therefore they called out to their Lord, O Lord. The Hebrew word there, circle it, underline it, is Yahweh. Yahweh is only reserved for people that have a covenantal relationship with God. Verse 14 tells us on the boat that day, salvation came to these sailors. And the only reason and the only answer why verse 5 tells, it that, tells us that at one moment they are crying out to their pagan gods and in another moment they are crying out to Yahweh, the Lord who saves, is what, what happens in between a picture of selfless, sacrificial, substitutionary love. Jonah would die in their place and it radically transformed them from men who worship pagan gods to men who now feared the Lord of the Old and New Testament. This is the testimony for those that encounter substitutionary, sacrificial love. But here's the problem. By nature, this is not what we want to do. You see, by nature, we want to serve and love people who are like us. We want to serve and love people who are worthy of our service, worthy of our love. Like Jonah, we don't want to serve and love the, the evil, Gentile, pagan people of Nineveh. The only way we would actually serve and love our enemy is if we knew that someone loved us while we were his enemy. And brothers and sisters, this is precisely the gospel because that someone is Jesus Christ. You see, the story of Jonah's sacrificial love points us centuries later to a greater sacrificial love in the person and work of Jesus Christ who did not come to serve people that were just like him, but in fact serve his enemy. While we were yet the enemies of God, Christ came to die and serve and love us. And on the cross, the greatest example and picture of sacrificial love and substitutionary love was displayed. But you see, the difference is this. Jonah begrudgingly plunged his way into the sea to save others. Jesus plunged himself into our sin and into our darkness, and he considered it a pure joy. Brothers and sisters, it is this picture of sacrificial substitutionary love at the cross 
by which it will be the only thing that will move you and motivate you to love your neighbor and maybe even yet love your enemy. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know this Jesus? For those watching at home, have you experienced this sacrificial substitutionary love? Maybe you've thought your whole life, I thought Jesus came to die for worthy people, not people like me. Don't make the mistake that the sailors originally made to try to fix your life by throwing over the cargo and throwing over the baggage of your life. Don't make this mistake of the sailors who tried to what? Put their oars in, to dig in, and it says row harder. No. Do what the sailors ultimately did and surrender. Stop rowing. Stop working for your salvation. Stop trying to fix yourself and surrender your life this morning to the one who surrendered his life for you at the cross. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus and be born again this morning. But if you have experienced this love, if you have experienced this morning the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, I want to ask you today, what will your response be? Can I give you a challenge? A very practical challenge. I want you to pick not five people, not three people. Let's start with one. I want you to pick one person. You can write it down now or you can write it down later today. I want you to pick one person that between now and Christmas you will do two things with. You will share with them the love of Jesus and you will find a way to serve them sacrificially. One person between now and Christmas to share Jesus and to love sacrificially. That is the challenge I give to you and I will ask you before Christmas. But that is the challenge I give you. One person, who will that one person be in your life that you will share Jesus with and love them sacrificially? There was a young couple in Tallahassee who were attending a wedding and at the wedding reception, they were seated at a table with other couples. And this young couple was telling them, telling uh, the other couples all about what was happening in their lives. They both worked full time, they had two little children, actively involved in their church, particularly children's ministry, and they were sharing with the other couples that God was calling them to become foster parents. Well, with that, one of the, one of the individuals seated at the table started to, to go off on this couple. What, what are you doing? You both work full time, you have two children, you volunteer at your, your church's children's ministry, you have more children than you know what to do with. You know what's going to happen with, with foster, with, as a foster parent. You're going to get the child, you're going to grow attached to the child, and then the parents are going to come in from left field, take the child away from you, he'll break your hearts and break your home. And with that, the young woman looked at her friend and said, I didn't know Christianity was supposed to be easy. And I say to you this morning, I didn't know Christianity was supposed to be easy. We are to love our neighbor in such a way that it is shocking to them and shocking to the watching world. Coleridge, we have a story to tell 
to the nations. Go and love your neighbor. And by the grace of God and for his glory, go and love even your enemy. Love as you have been loved and serve as you have been served. Because for those that have experienced the love of Jesus, we can hear the words of God saying this morning, arise and go.